Welcome to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. I am your host, Dr. Onit Lev, an emergency and addiction doctor who has served at the White House and still practices on the front lines. Right here on High Truths, you will learn from experts, hear stories from the emergency department, and listen to people who have struggled from addiction. Friends, fentanyl is plaguing America. It has infected all illicit drugs, from cocaine to meth, counterfeit pills, and even marijuana. If you're around someone who may be using drugs, you should carry naloxone, the opioid reversal agent. Carrying naloxone for drugs is like carrying an EpiPen for allergies. If you need a prescription for naloxone, you should have one, no questions asked. That is why I'm offering a free prescription to anyone who needs one. Come visit me on hightruths.com to learn more about the show, submit a question, or download a free prescription for naloxone. And if you like the show, do me a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. Your stars are very much appreciated and go a long way in supporting the program. Today's episode is sponsored by Families Against Fentanyl. FAF is an organization set on breaking the status quo of failed solutions and to get to the core of the supply chain of deadly fentanyl. Learn more about FAF by visiting familiesagainstfentanyl.org and sign their petition to declare illegal fentanyl a weapon of mass destruction. Hello again, High Truth listeners. Get ready for a grieving conversation. I'm your host, Dr. Ronit Lev. Grieving, a painful emotion that can take you down the dumps of despair or the height of anger. On September 23, hundreds of people will gather in front of the White House to honor the memory of their loved ones who died of fentanyl and demand action. Our sponsor, Families Against Fentanyl is led by James Rowell, who has been on this podcast. He and his wife Val took their grief in losing their son, Brian, and transferred it into power and action. I urge our listeners to visit Families Against Fentanyl, their website, look at their research page. They took the CDC national data and share it with a focus on fentanyl. Fentanyl is the leading cause of death in America, age 18 to 45, way more than suicide or COVID. A staggering 100,000 people a year die of drug overdoses and 60% of those are due to fentanyl. Black Americans are more likely to die from fentanyl poisoning than any other racial demographic, although the number of deaths is highest in white people. Fentanyl fatalities among children is rising faster than any other group. Babies, Little toddlers less than one years old, their death toll has gone up tenfold in the past two years and up 15-fold for kids age one years old to 14. They didn't have a chance. People who die don't always intentionally seek fentanyl. Some are tricked, poisoned. A college kid who bought an Adderall pill to study for finals died of fentanyl. I would say he was murdered. He did not mean to use fentanyl. My favorite homeless man, Alex Soto, visited our emergency department each week. He'd get his usual shot of antipsychotics to help his schizophrenia symptoms. He was addicted to methamphetamine, but he died of fentanyl. 
He was tricked, preyed upon. I say he was murdered. He did not intentionally take fentanyl. The supply of fentanyl crossing our border is staggering. It's enough to kill every American. And the means of distributing fentanyl can be deceitful, killing people who experiment with drugs and do not have an addiction. Foreign countries are attacking and infecting our country with fentanyl. That's why there is a strong movement to declare fentanyl a weapon of mass destruction and push for a much stronger focus on reducing the supply and increasing deterrence to drugs. I share their passion. And with that, let's hear our question of the day. Hi, Dr. Lev. My name is Patricia Drews. I lost my only child, Heavenly Nelson, in 2019 to fentanyl poisoning at the age of 24. We are burying children all across the country. I'd like to thank you for your advocacy with fentanyl. I like how you say it should get the same public health and eradication we have with COVID. My question for you is, what more should be done? I see a lot of money aimed at fentanyl, but the death toll continues. Patricia, thank you for your question and your voice and your bravery. I know the memory of heaven, your beautiful daughter, is a blessing to you and others. To answer your question, I invited a fellow grieving mother, April Babcock. April is the founder of Lost Voices of Fentanyl with over 24,000 members. She does not believe enough is being done to stop the death toll of fentanyl. She has empowered hundreds of mothers and fathers, family members and friends who lost loved ones and killed by fentanyl. They demand action to decrease this death toll. To learn more about April Babcock and Lost Voices of Fentanyl, check out the High Truth show notes. April Babcock, welcome to High Truths. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm very excited to have you and I really thank you for all that you do and the voice that you bring, the, the voices, the lost voices on fentanyl. Um, but I wanna start by talking about Austin. Um, because people like you, people like Austin are the reason that I do what I do. So I want our audience to, to learn a little bit about Austin and understands your passion. Well, um, I lost my son January 26th of 2019. He had just turned 25 years old. I knew he was struggling with a substance use disorder. Um, he started at the age of 19 with marijuana, you know, the marijuana led to Xanax. He was doing whippets, you know, I think he was doing a little Coke here and there. Like he was kind of just, he was young, naive and doing with what a lot of young, naive teenagers do. I mean, when I was growing up, it was almost a rite of pass passage. I mean, I, I hate saying it like that, but young people do stupid stuff. And we all lived through that phase. And we're here to tell the story. The kids nowadays, they don't live through that phase. They just die because fentanyl is instant death. It's just different. It's nothing we've ever seen. But my son started at 19. And I always say he didn't last very long. He was dead by 25. His, uh, it, I knew about two to three years before he passed away, 
I knew he had a substance use disorder. I'm recovering. His father was an addict. His sister is a recovering addict. So unfortunately for him, it almost like runs in the family. And I tried talking to him about that when he was 22 and 23. He didn't want to admit that. He wasn't ready. Um, And we didn't even know anything about fentanyl back then. And it was out back then because it exploded in 2013. We didn't know that. But the last two years of his life, he he got a new girlfriend and she was a heroin user. I know he dabbled in that a little bit with her, but his drug of choice was cocaine. And now fentanyl's in everything. People don't have umpteen chances of recovery anymore. You just die. So that's why we say this is different. They can't treat this fentanyl crisis like they treated the drug crisis in the past. As we see, it's not working. If it was working, why is the death control? the death toll continue to climb. It's just not normal. We've lost more kids to opioids than Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan. All three wars combined, servicemen that died. We've lost more, more Americans to illicit fentanyl. Somebody dies every five minutes. So I call that a war. Like, I believe we are in a war. Americans are under attack. And I say it every day. Every time a teenager walks out the door, if they don't have the knowledge, they could be the next ones to die. And as we see, they are dying. And now we have babies dying. Babies aren't suffering with a substance use disorder. So this is just totally out of control. And we fight for change. We fight for something different. Like they can't treat this like they've been treating it. It, It's not working. And I say, I'm all for Narcan, but at the end of the day, we're not going to Narcan our way out of a fentanyl crisis. It's just not working. And now they're lacing fentanyl with, um, trank. They call it trank dope xylazine and that's Narcan resistant. And now there's something even worse coming out. There's yeah. always worse. Our government, you know, we fight right. for we fight for politicians to make new laws, but we really are fighting for illicit fentanyl to be on a weapon of mass destruction list because that's exactly what it is. It is a weapon of mass destruction. If you can compare that death total of them three wars to what's going on now in America, how is this not a war? I don't, I don't understand. I agree so, with you. I, I agree with I you. So, you. We're, know. we're under attack. <laughs> we're, uh, this is not coming from our country. This is coming from foreign entities and we're being attacked and we're losing more people Thank and you. we're from, from, from this drug than, like you said, from any war, if this was a terror attack, like 9-11, this is actually worse than, you know, we, we would go to battle for that. Um, and, and, uh, I agree. We, and we were, were not able to go after the Mexican cartels and we fight for that. We want them labeled a foreign terrorist organization. So our military can actually bomb them, bomb their labs. We have to do something to slow the flow of illicit fentanyl into our country. You're right, April. I want to talk feel- about Austin. You said that, you know, addiction runs in the family you mentioned, um, he was killed 
He didn't intend to use fentanyl. But, and this may be a hard question, but if you look back, is there anything you could have done? Or this is something that's out there that hits people. Um, you know, is there anything that you would want to do differently uh, as a parent? When I was talking to him, I kept saying, when he, find, it was like nine months, a year maybe before he died. I think it was closer to like nine months before he died. I was having a talk with him. I said, Austin, you are an addict. And he finally admitted it. And he said, yes, mom, I know. Um, he wasn't, you know, I was talking about, well, let's try to get you it's, in treatment. It's interesting that you use the word addict because there's a, a big campaign out there to on stigma and not to use the word addict. But you as somebody who lost your son, who has struggled yourself, you're allowed to use that word. What do you think of that? I always, like when I'm, uh, when I'm on my Facebook group, Lost Voice of Fentanyl, I always say substance use disorder because I know the word addict does offend some people. But when I talk about myself and when I talk, I mean, he he said it. I said it. I know plenty of people that, yeah. But substance use disorder is a nicer way to put it. I mean, we don't choose to have a substance use disorder. Um, unfortunately, you don't know if you're going to have them tendencies or not until you actually use. Like when I was young, I, I didn't use because I was, I had a problem. I wasn't raped. I wasn't, you know, I didn't have problems. I just used with my friends as something to do to get high, to get a buzz. We wanted to feel that buzz. Like not everybody that tries drugs ends up having a substance use disorder. Now, do a lot of people? Yes, but not everybody. So that's why I say, you know, we have 12 and 13 and 14-year-old kids dying. You cannot say they have a substance use disorder. The stigma issue is a slippery slope. I don't know if you agree, but um, we don't want people who have a problem to be stigmatized, right? You know, Austin deserved compassion and treatment. But on the other hand, using drugs is bad. You don't want them to do that. No. And you want stigma no, on drugs. You want stigma. You want, we have stigma on tobacco use, right? Cigarettes are gross. That's disgusting. Don't you smoke? You know, that's bad for you. We, stigma is a tool to prevent people from using. Yeah. If we eliminated uh, yeah, all stigma, uh, then, then why stop using? I mean, I hear what you're saying. Like in my group, you know, we always want to end the stigma and stop the stigma, but I hear what you're saying. Right. Not, no stigma on the human being, but stigma on the drug itself. Um, I, I preach yeah. abstinence. Like, I know people are going to try, but to guarantee life, I preach abstinence. I'm not going to say, well, go to this place and shoot your dope. Like, some, some cities are opening up them safe use facilities they're not safe even if there wasn't fentanyl in the drug supply why do we want to see people shooting up heroin why do we want to condone that behavior like we want to give them materials and resources that they have a way out let's give them another option and not babysit them use drugs i'll never be for that right what so you you've taken the grief that you've had with Austin to action. So 
Tell us about Lost Voices of Fentanyl. Why is it called Lost Voices? Do you feel unheard? Well, it, the the name kind of came about because, you know, my kid's dead. His voice is lost. So that's how I kind of came up with the name Lost Voices and why fentanyl. So we're their voices. If we're not their voices, who's going to be their voice? So us parents, there's so many parents having events, going into schools, you know, and then why are we the ones doing that? I think the Board of Education, they should be doing this in all the schools. It should be mandatory by Board of Education. How many young kids have to die? You know, we fight all federal buildings should have Narcan. Narcan is a life saving tool. It's just like if you see someone choking, well, you're going to give them the Heimlich maneuver. So if you think someone is experiencing an overdose, wouldn't you want Narcan ready in all schools? Because guess what? It might be a teacher. You know, they, they want to think a lot of schools are Sadly. like, well, our kids don't do that. Oh, yeah, your kids do. and. Maybe a teacher is, maybe the principal is. We don't know who is suffering out there. And unfortunately, all these pills, Big Pharma created a pill pop in society. I don't know how many people are prescribed CNX. So kids think it's no big deal. Mom and dad are prescribed it. What's the big deal? It's never killed anyone. Well, it does now because they're fake. Like the Adderall. Elementary school children are prescribed Adderall. So when people are saying, well, why are these kids popping pills? Well, I just gave you the answer. It's a pill popping generation and it's not their fault. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying it's a good choice, but kids should learn from their mistakes and not die from them. And now they don't even learn. They just die. So we have the the main thing we have to do right now is just get the warnings and the messaging out there because right now it's here. So what else are we going to do? We have to warn them. They have to know. This should be in every elementary, middle school, and high school. I don't get why. I agree with you. It's and that's called I don't up, get why it's and that's called upstream primary prevention. And if we really wanted to end um, fentanyl, we would get at the supply like you said, with the cartel, and do the education at a young level. Um, and, you know, downstream, naloxone, harm reduction, there's a role for that, but it's disproportionate because if we wanted to end a problem, we start before it begins. Absolutely. I know in California, um, a law passed in California, they are starting. Um, I think it's the whole state of California where they're going in and they're warning in the high schools. I don't know if it's middle and elementary school, but they are passing some bills and a lot we of parents. Have, we don't have um, a legislation in California, but I know in San Diego where I am, we have very strong border supervisors, uh, city council members, district attorneys, and um, starting um, 2024, there'll be universal education on drugs, evidence-based, 
that shows results. You know, there's a lot of prevention science out there showing that intervention, small interventions at a young age can have a lifelong consequences in decreasing drug use, increasing education, decreasing violence. So I'm very excited that we're going to be having this in this curriculum. And I think that's where the answer is um, as far as decreasing, decreasing deaths. I mean- And that needs to be everywhere. Why do us parents have to fight so hard? Our federal government, this administration, they know what's happening. They are not stupid. They know. And that's why we're screaming. Why aren't they doing more? Why do us parents have to hold signs on street corners in the hope that one passerby may read our sign and it compute in their brain? And they may have that talk with their children. This, I mean, we do everything. It's us families doing it. And it's kind of sad to me because a lot of these moms they haven't even grieved the loss of their child. Their kid dies. They find out about my group or another group. And literally, they're out on the, they're out on the streets holding signs, trying to get into schools, trying to have awareness events. Like, it would be great if we can have beautiful memorial events. That's what I would love to do. But right now, I don't have a a memorial event. I have an awareness event. And we march it in front of the White House because we're tired of funerals. I mean, I'm just. So tell us about that. Tell us about that. I'm angry Um, every day. I I, I like your anger, April. Keep it up because I actually think that your voice and the lost voices are the ones that will create change. I've seen that happen. Um, when it comes to tobacco, it was people who have suffered and their family members who made the change with tobacco. I've seen that with opioid prescriptions. Um, you know, I've met parents like you when it came whose children died from opioid um, who activated the medical community, and the rest of the community. So you need to keep it up because your voice um, is the most important, most one. important one. Well, I say the same thing. Us, us, the parents. Us moms, dads, grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, even children of lost parents, we're the ones that it's going to change it. So if we don't stand up and fight, yes. who the we have to. So that's what I just encourage. I encourage every family member in my group, if all you can do is wear a fentanyl T-shirt, then do that because no fentanyl awareness is too small. None. It all adds up and together we can create change. So I just try to inspire people because death of a child is debilitating. And you know what the majority of people do? Nothing. I have 28,000 members in my group, but just last year we lost uh, over 110. Where are they all at? Because that's what happens. Death of a child is debilitating and most people do nothing. I mean, we are growing in numbers. And there's a lot of us, but nowhere near enough for real change. How are we going to tip the scales in our government? We have to have the majority of the Democrats and the majority of the Republicans screaming the same thing to get real change. And we just don't have the numbers. So it's really sad. It's not enough dead people. And that messed up. It's messed up. And so um, it's messed up. Lost voices it's so are. Sad. Are you said 20, 28,000 are there all parents, but you also have partners, right? DEA, National Sheriff Associations. You have, uh, you part yeah. have other partners. 
Yeah, there's a lot of groups out there that we partner with, like the DEA. They'll be at the event September 23rd in Washington, D.C. They'll have their One Pill Can Kill campaign. Drug-induced homicide will be there with all their information because we absolutely 100% support drug-induced homicide. Um, and then there's going to be speakers like you at my event this year. You're speaking. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. It's an honor. <laughs> yes. And, and I'm going to say that we need a response to fentanyl like we had for COVID. All of government approach, upstream, you. you know, prevention in, in, in eradicating the supply. Um, it's unacceptable for our country to be attacked on the supply end as it is right now. And also from a public health perspective, we were able to rally around COVID and we should, we're not even doing half of that around fentanyl. Within three months of COVID, every American knew social distance, wash your hands, wear a mask. Good Lord, we're 10 years deep into a fentanyl crisis and we can't even get that. We want the ticker. We want the ticker on at every news station of these fentanyl deaths. And guess what? That would maybe wake some people up. They had a ticker up there for COVID. Why can't they have it for fentanyl poisoning? I mean, Americans are under attack. Right. And education I mean, and schools universally. Absolutely. This is going to be your third time doing this rally in, uh, in front of the um, White House. Um, you first started your rally in front of the Chinese embassy. Tell us about that. How did that go? So, actually, it was the day after the Afghanistan bombing. So, you know, we had n hardly any media there. And the reason for going in front of the Chinese embassy was for media coverage. Unfortunately, also, it was my first event. I learn as I go. I tell people, I'm just a grieving mom with passion. And I'm determined to go to D.C., if I'm standing out there with 50 people or 5,000 people, I'm going to go. So that's what I want to do. I want to have an event in Washington, D.C. once a year. So the first event was at the Chinese rally. I think we may have had 300 people there. But we went in front of the Chinese embassy because they're the head of the snake. All the precursor chemicals come from China. And our kids are dying, and it's not just fentanyl. They are, there's other synthetics out there that they pump in their factories, and it gets sold here on the black market to these kids, and they're dying. Why is China allowed to get away with that? So that's why we took it in front of the Chinese embassy. And honestly, the reason why we didn't continue, I would love to go in front of the Chinese embassy every year, but it's in a real crappy location in Washington. It's in a cul-de-sac all by itself and no one even knows we're there. So so that's why now we take it to the Washington Monument or the National Mall and then we march to the White House. Wow, and so tell us about the events coming up on Saturday, September 23rd. Um, people, parents like you holding signs, a wall of people who died. Um, you know, bringing honor to their memory, uh, but also demanding action. Absolutely. So we'll be at the Washington Monument, the Northeast Quadrant at the Washington Monument. It kicks off at 9.55 a.m. that Saturday. And we have speakers on the mic all day. 
at three o'clock, we line up, we have a police escort to the White House, and we'll be at the White House for a couple hours demanding change. Then we're going to have our impact banners on display at the Washington Monument. Right now we have we have 37. And then I also partner with a group called Can You See Me Now? They have 32 impact banners. And on their impact banners, they have 150 faces on each one of their banners. Each one. We have 56 on ours. Mm. Ours are specific to fentanyl deaths. Her banners are any drug death, and you can have your child on her banners. But 150 a day. And I mean, I'm sorry, 150 on her banners. So I tell people, just look at two of her banners. That's who's dying every day in America. And you can't walk by these banners and not just be stopped dead in your tracks. Like, it's sad. It is just so sad and disgusting Hopefully one day we can just have beautiful memorial events. Yeah. It's unacceptable. And unacceptable. Other- We're a first world country. Why are we having this, you know, with the, these kind of problems? It's not, it's not acceptable. Um, and and even, not- though, even though the death toll from fentanyl is not escalating in the logarithmic fashion that it has been, it's actually tallying off, but it's, it's still unacceptable. <laughs> are we okay with that? We gotta yeah. lose thousand a year, and you know that's a low ball number. That's not even a right stat. No. Well, um, tell us a little bit about speakers that you're expecting. Um, I have the whole border nine one one team. Well, ooh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. They're making their big announcement at our event on September twenty third, but we have you. Um, Jim Rawl, he's the founder of Families Against Fentanyl, and he's the one that talks all about the weapon of mass destruction. He started a petition years ago, and I always promote him, support him, but no one talks about it better than Jim Rawl, so he's a speaker. We have Congressman Warren Davidson. Oh, my gosh, I hope I, I hope, (laughs) I think that's his name. Too much information up here. Sometimes I get it wrong. But he's from Ohio. He wrote the Stop the Cartel Act. He's going to be talking about that. We have retired um, special operations, head of special operations for the DEA, Derek Maltz speaking. We have Tom Homan. We have a lot of great speakers this year. Uh, We have a mother that's going to speak that just buried her three-year-old baby. Uh. We have another mother that's going to speak whose daughter died from drinking a bottle of water that a friend of hers put fentanyl in it and didn't bother to tell her that, hey, by the way, in my refrigerator, there's bottles of water with fentanyl. Don't drink my water. No, she's going to be speaking at the event. We have lots of great speakers. And this is why fentanyl is different. Did you hear what I just said? She drank a bottle of water. No, no. It's is She is, is the person who put fentanyl in their water for other people to do. Are they held accountable? Um, you would have to talk to her about that, but no, I believe he pretty much got away with it. That's what I'm saying. There's no deterrence, and I don't know how you feel about that, but there needs to be deterrence for killing people, even if it's by accident. I just testified on a bill in my state in February, so fentanyl trafficking trafficking in Maryland, and honestly, I can't even remember the amount that they consider trafficking in this state, but right now, the maximum they can receive is 10 years. For fentanyl trafficking. Yeah. So they did it 
and they want to make it up to 20 years. And that's a mandatory, that's a, sorry, that's a, that's the maximum that they could possibly get. 20 years isn't enough. If you had a sweet and low packet and dumped it out in your hand and that was illicit fentanyl, that has the potential to kill 500 people. So one gram, if that, if one gram can kill 500 people, like, yeah, fentanyl traffickers deserve life. They're serial killers. That's what I, that's how I perceive them. They're serial killers. They know people are going to die and they don't care because money trumps human lives. Or um, they say they have an addiction so they can't help it and they feed their addiction by selling and we should have compassion. But again, you need deterrence. Otherwise, that behavior continues. You know, I'm not for that. And here's why. If I'm an alcoholic and I happen to get behind a wheel of a car drunk, and I kill someone, do I get a free pass because I'm an alcoholic? No. Does it break my heart that people suffer with addiction and then they sell drugs to support their habit? Yeah, that's very sad to me. But people have to be held accountable for their actions. And guess what? I've heard so many stories of people that sat in jail and that was their rock bottom. And if you're selling drugs to support your habit, I'd rather my kid go in jail because right now with fentanyl and all these other synthetics in these drugs, they're going to die. It's a matter of time. It's not if, it's only when. So they will die. So I would much rather my kid sit in jail than be out slinging dope to support his habit. They have a point. And a lot of people got better and got treatment and have an opportunity by, by going to jail. I mean, I don't believe we're going to lock our way up out of this crisis. I don't believe that's the answer either. But if that's all that's happening in your state and there's aren't pro and there's no programs in place, I would rather see them in jail than continuing to be on the street selling stuff to support their their substance use disorder. And you're right. And that's the 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 old saying is we can't arrest our way out of this, but we also we're not going to naloxone our way out of this. Like you said, we're not going to suboxone our way out of this. We need to go upstream, cut the supply at the cartels from foreign entities and also go upstream at education at an elementary school level and continue to teach people how to deal with with life's hardships without resulting to, to drugs. That needs to be, you know, a life skill. Absolutely. And that, I mean, that's what we're trying to do. There's so many things going on and it's not a one fix. So what are, what is your, what's your demand? If, if, if you had a successful rally, lost voices um, of fentanyl, do you have like, these are our demands, one, two, three, or, or what, or are you just raising awareness? Do you have specific demands of our government? They're speakers. Most people that follow us, they know we're for the weapon of mass destruction. We're for the cartels, the foreign terrorist organization. We want Narcan in every every government building, federal building, every school, really every restaurant, any public building should have Narcan. It's, it's not enabling. It's saving a life. And if your 13-year-old is laying on the floor, possibly experiencing an overdose, you're going to want your child Narcan, and you're going to be glad it was in that building. Because even some people are against that. Like, it's a life-saving tool. Yeah. It gives you another chance after a mistake. Absolutely. If you get it in time. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like, I know someone that was Narcan eight times, and they still died. 
And that's why I say we're not going to Narcan our way out of this. There's analogs of fentanyl that are Narcan resistant. And the, and, and that's a never-ending supply because it's synthetic. So there could be like thousands and thousands and thousands of analogs of fentanyl. Are we okay with that? Like we have to stop China from doing this. Our government can do it if they want it to. Yeah. We, we, if we had the will, and that's the question, do we have the will? And you're demanding that um, but in your protest. That's what we do. And that's what the families do. We write letters, make calls, knock on doors. That's what us parents do. Work with legislators. We're trying to get bills passed. So it's just not enough politicians doing it yet. We need like the majority on the left and the majority on the right to all be on the same page. Right. Because- a bunch of bills sitting dead in the water because they just don't pass. But some people, like in California, we wanted, um, uh, we really, people tried really hard to have the same uh, legislation that you had uh, about um, your analogy with alcohol and Watson advisory that if you knowingly deal fentanyl to someone who dies, you'll sign an advisory saying that you understand that you could kill somebody that, um, and then if it happens again and someone dies, you're going to, you can be charged for second degree murder. B 350, I believe, because we supported that. I wrote a letter in support of that. And, and, I and yet people are against it. it. Our government wouldn't pass that something that we should really be united on. We, you if you are, Soft on crime, you're going to get more crime. The politicians, they make it political. They make it a political issue, and it's not. It's a red, white, and blue issue. I have families in my group that are left-leaning, right-leaning, black, white, Hispanic, Asian. Uh, you name it. It's it's an everybody issue. And right. Because fentanyl kills indiscriminately. It doesn't matter. <laughs> It's an everybody problem. And I say it needs to be yeah. a house. Everybody needs to know what it is and what can happen. Yeah. At least let's warn them. And that's all we're really trying to do. You know, sadly, it's an American issue because I um, met with delegates from China and they came to the United States to learn about drugs in general. And when I asked them about fentanyl, they said, well, we don't have a fentanyl problem. It must be in your culture of why yeah, you they, have a problem. But it's not just, the culture. It's the supply. We had a yeah. heroin problem when we had a lot of heroin. We have a meth problem because we have supply of heroin. Now we have a lot of supply of fentanyl. It's a supply issue. It's not our culture. Yeah. I know. And it's funny where it's coming from, from their labs. They're deliberately killing us. They did it with, they did it with a chemical and a virus. They killed our elderly with a virus and our youth with a chemical. <laughs> Are we going to yeah. have a million in 10 years? That's their goal. Right. And, and uh, right. We should, it's not acceptable. And again, it's the leading public health issue in our country and a huge um, you know, one of the top issues that I think that we see in the presidential campaign um, and and obviously the status quo has not been working. They just have to do something different. And you're right. What you said. It's us families applying the pressure. And that's what I and it's it is very debilitating just just to write a letter like I don't. I don't think people that have not lost a child realize how debilitating it is for us families, but yet 
we somehow get up and do it. I just wish more families would do it because I know plenty of families, honestly, they are just, they're people in this state, in my state of Maryland. I know plenty of people here in this state. They're not even in my group. They're very inactive. They don't talk about it. They cry over their kid and that's that. It's devastating. Not everybody has um, the power. and We were all created differently. So I really admire you for having that bravery and that voice. Everybody grieves differently. So I understand that. Um, so I bet you they're very appreciative that, that you come up and, and take the time and effort and pain because it's reliving your loss each time. I don't even like doing podcasts. Honestly, I hate it with a passion. I don't like public speaking. I can't stand it. But I feel like I don't have a choice. Like my kid is dead. My grandson is 10 years old and I'm scared to death. I'm like, because mind you, my, my son-in-law died in 2015. Now he died from fentanyl, but I didn't even know he died from fentanyl until my son died four years later. Then his mom told me, well, fentanyl is what killed Matt. And I'm like, huh? I had no idea. And that's grief. It's debilitating. And some people just, they can't handle it. Like, she loves me. I love her. And she's like, I wish, I'm so proud of you. She's proud of everything I do, but she can't handle that grief. She can't mm -hmm. handle that emotion. And, you know, if you're a member in my group, it's not just me. There's thousands of us in there grieving. Yeah. And it is hard. I like what you said, that just wear a t-shirt, because not everybody can do what you do. And then, and if that's all you can do, it's not too small, no. because everything adds up. And I get it. You know how many people I know raising their grandkids? They can't go to rallies. They, they want to do all this stuff. And they can't, because now they're stuck raising their grandkids. I mean, that's another crisis that's not even being discussed at all. What's going to happen oh. to all these kids when they get older? And then what's going to happen to all these parents that their children were supposed to be their caregivers when they get older, but now their children are dead. So we're probably going to have an elderly crisis. Who's taking care of all the, all their kids are dying. And then you got grandmas raising their grandchildren. What's going to happen to them kids if they die? I have one of, one, one of the admins in my group. She is in her 50s. She has a lot of medical problems. And she's raising two kids under five. Wow. Uh-huh. That's, it's hard. Yeah. It's really, it's it's all of society issue that's affecting so many parts of our life. Yeah. There's probably not a single American who's not affected or knows someone in some, in some way. Yeah, so people need to start waking up. I mean, my opinion, I think everybody should support us. And unfortunately, a lot of people just, don't. Yeah. You you mentioned that Austin's addiction started with marijuana, and you also mentioned that he had a genetic disposition. And in my practice, everyone who I treat after a fentanyl overdose, I ask them about their journey to drugs. How old were they when they started? What's their drug of choice? What drugs have they used? And I would say 99% or higher of every single one I've probably treated 100,000 people in my career. Um, but of those that I've talked to after an overdose, they all started at a very young age 
um, with marijuana. And it like primes their brain to addiction and then eventually that's not enough and then they, they move on. Not, not everybody who used marijuana dies of fentanyl, but I would say almost everyone who died of fentanyl started at some point with marijuana. And I and I always say marijuana is a gateway and some people don't agree. They just legalized it here in my state of Maryland on July 1st of this year. And I'm just shaking my head going, oh, my gosh. I, and you're, it's legal at 18. I would like to be the fly on the wall in all these homes with teenagers that their parents are going, oh, my God, why are you smoking dope? And they're going, screw you. It's legal. It's a gateway. It's, I, I don't think people understand the connection, but the connection, you know, biologically is very clear. If you're increasing your, you know, dopamine need exogenously with drugs, um, such as marijuana, then, you know, eventually you're going to need more and more. And let um, me tell you, like I say, the marijuana dealer knows the coke dealer and the coke dealer knows the dope dealer. So eventually... That's how you graduate. It's just not safe. Why are we want to uh, legalizing things that rewire your brain? Yeah. And our job as a society, as a government, is to protect the population. I don't think that we're quite doing that. No, they're not doing a good job. I mean, New York City, they, um, they had these vending machines go up a while ago with Narcan and crack pipes. Well, the funny thing was, within 24 hours, it was still full of Narcan, but every crack pipe was gone. Ah, that so we're just going to pay for free crack pipes? Why? Right. It- like where our priorities? <laughs> we're a break. Our priorities are not balanced in in the direction that we need in order to create meaningful change. I think that that's the problem. No meaningful change. Let's get into these schools: elementary, middle, and mm-hmm. high school. Yeah. And every day, it needs to be across the board. Like right. there's debate it shouldn't be left up to like the school principal you know if if i picked only two things for the rally two things that would make meaningful change it'd be um upstream on the supply end weapons of mass destruction and number two upstream in prevention and education at a young level in all schools absolutely yeah, if there was just two things, if we wanted to do things differently and make an impactful change um, that would decrease deaths, I think those would be the two things. I mean, unfortunately, because fentanyl doesn't seem like it's going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> so education is the key right now. Right. And if it's not fentanyl, it's something else. So kids need to know to and, and you know, and marijuana is all over the place. And we're not going to put that genie back in the bottle. So kids need to know at a young level to protect their brains. They only want to have one brain. They want to get as tall as possible. You want to protect it and be as smart as possible and achieve whatever dreams you have. Um, and, and there could be one choice to protect it, uh, at least till you're 25. If we got kids to avoid all sorts of drugs, tobacco, alcohol, marijuana, anything, until age 25, we would have less addiction total in our country. Absolutely. And I think they should have like for people over 21. Well, actually, you don't have to be 21. They should make like bars, alcohol free bars, like no alcohol, just clubs that have that don't serve alcohol that anybody can like 18 and over clubs with no alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. Fun places to gather. Right. Yeah. For a place to give people something to do. Like there's less and less things to do. I remember when my kids were younger, there was like a couple skate parks. There was 
there was places where you can do indoor putt putts around here, rock climbing walls. I mean, the Chuck E. Cheese down the street, they closed that a couple of years ago. There is less and less fun things for kids to do. And bored children, they all have phones now. Oh, no, no. That's that scares me. I see my grandson on his phone all the time and it scares me. And I've told him there's predators on there. Like my daughter knows they better never have that Snapchat app on their phone. Because April, your grandson, is that Austin's son? No, that's my daughter. Their father passed away in 2015. So my grandkids lost their father and their uncle. And it's heartbreaking. What do you say to them? How do you tell little kids about that? I'm probably a little rougher than normal. Like I'm, I'm kind of just so like, I, I scare, I scare the crap out of them. Like I want them to be scared. I'd rather scare the crap out of them than them dead one day. Well, it's not scared. It's just reality. Yeah, it is reality, but I'm kind of, maybe I should go about my approach a little better, but (laughs) I've already saw my son dead. I laid on his body for 20 minutes. I know what it's like to have a dead kid. And I don't want my daughter ever to have to lay on her child that way. And the sad thing, like I said, we just, that mama just buried her three-year-old son. And now there's another mom coming to my rally this year. She buried her 18-month-old little girl. She's coming this year. You'll meet her. How did, how did it, how did that happen? And because usually well, parents with little kids are embarrassed that that would happen. Oh no, Daddy had the, I believe with the eighteen. Not I believe. I've read her on Facebook, and I'm friends with her now. Dad had the baby one week. She had the baby. So you know it was joint. Mm. Well, I think Dad took the baby to a dope house. I guess Dad was high, and the toddler. What do toddlers do? They crawl around. They touch everything. Their hands are right. in their mouth. Yeah, I've I've heard that people crawling around the carpet and putting their hands in their mouth and the toddler dies. And there's story after story about you if you go in my group you will see stories, but just google it. Go on Google and say baby's dead to fentanyl and you'll scroll. We we unfortunately see that we're seeing that statistics we uh, just this week have a, an 18 month old uh, in the ICU on a Narcan drip because of fentanyl. So it's 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 it's, it's horrible. I mean, it's happening all the every week there is every week there's another baby gone. Every this is like yeah. a crisis. Yeah, they didn't have a substance use disorder. <laughs> exactly. Right. They didn't have a chance. Different, and that's why we're screaming it from the rooftops. This is not the same as heroin. People didn't die instantly from heroin. Now, I fight that. Like, why is heroin? Why was heroin ever flooding our country? That was coming through our border too. Why we don't have poppy fields here in America? Why has our government not gone after the cartels when they started that? Yeah. So, April, what's the conclusion? What's your messages to uh, moms and dads and, and friends and Americans out there? Americans are under attack. We all need to stand up and fight back. Whatever. Not call right your senators, your governors, your, your congressmen. Write them. Call them. Send them an email. Tell them you're concerned. Why aren't there public warnings? 
Tell them you want to see public warnings, or especially on social media, right. social media apps. Why our federal government should be paying for them public warnings? I've never seen one. Yeah, I've not. seen them for families with dead children. You know, paying right. all this money out of their. But we see COVID, COVID, COVID all over the place, don't we? <laughs> Yeah, the Maryland Department of Health, you go on there, they're still talking about COVID. There is no warnings about fentanyl. I called them up about that, and they they acted like I was bullying them. <laughs> you go bully, April. <laughs> you do it. And I want to say... Like, you got to write a letter. Then you got to write another letter. Then you got to write another letter. And, and it's like... It is... It's, I can't even remember who I've written, who I, I can't even keep up with it in my brain. And I work a full-time job and I'm single. So it's not like, you know, I'm getting any help around here. I do oh. what I can. I try my best, but I think the thing I do best is just encourage everyone in my group. If I can do it, so can you. And nothing is too small. Just do something. Yeah. Because every time I walk out the door with a fentanyl shirt, I'll give you one example. I I was at my local dollar store and I don't remember what shirt it was fentanyl something. I have like 20 of them. I have a whole bunch of fentanyl shirts. So I'm in line, not one, not two. It took one person and she's going like this. She was like the eighth person in line. She's like, mm -hmm. I'm way up in the front. She's like, I like your shirt. Yeah. And I'm like, She's like, man, my, my son died. And the guy behind me, and then another woman in line. It, I'm like four people in one line at a dollar store in my town. All had dead kids to fentanyl. Like, what the heck? That's disgusting. Yeah, it's gross. Like, that blew me away. I had my furnace repaired. The furnace guy came. You're not ever going to believe it. Both his niece and his nephew. So his sisters, both her kids are dead. I had a I had new carpet installed. The carpet guy, he saw all these signs out in my front yard because my yard's usually a protest, a warning, a fentanyl warning in my front yard. And the carpet guy's like, he was really, he's like, yeah, I saw your signs. He's like, yeah, my son died. I tried to get him to join my, he wouldn't join my group. He's like, no, my wife can't handle it. Like people, people live and breathe for their children. And when a child dies, we've had eight moms commit suicide two years ago. So there's all these groups on Facebook and we're all kind of mingle in the same groups. And eight moms that mingled, eight moms in one year that we knew of on social media committed suicide. I'm like, that, that's, that's horrific. And that's what grief does to some people. <laughs> Heartbreak yeah. is real. That is crazy. I, I, I mean, I, it's, it's unspeakable. Again, we're under attack, like you said, and it's unacceptable. I, and I appreciate you fighting back. I try. And, you know, another thing I would tell a mother or a father, find a way to give back. If you have lost a child from anything, find a way to give back. And if your child has died from fentanyl, or another drug, if you can't fight fentanyl, find a way to give back. Like, I don't know, if you like animals, go to an animal shelter. You like babies, try to volunteer at a hospital. I think they have them hospitals where you can hold babies. Uh, find a way, do something, a nursing home, 
anything. But when you give back, it makes you feel like you got a purpose. You know, you got to find purpose in your pain. And it literally saved my life. And everybody I know that's like me, they all say the same thing. Doing what they do is literally saving their, their life. Right. And it's important. And other people's lives. You're saving other people's lives too. And that too. And that's the best part about it. You know, I always say we usually don't hear the good stories, but pat yourself on the back because we are saving lives. You are. I want to say thank you to Patricia. She called in with a question. She brings a lot of blessing and memory to her daughter, uh, Heaven. Um, uh, like you, she's bringing her voice in. And thank you, April, for your bravery, your passion, your voice, your activism. I look forward to meeting with you in person in a rally in front of the White House and Capitol. Um, and I know, again, that the memory of Austin is a blessing to you and, and all those around you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. This week's episode would not be possible without the generous support from our sponsor. A sincere and warm thank you to FAF, Families Against Fentanyl. Visit familiesagainstfentanyl.org and sign the petition to declare illegal fentanyl a weapon of mass destruction. Make drug dealers think twice and three times before peddling killer drugs. Our producer is Dave Rivas from Davey Boy Productions. I am your host, Dr. Oni Lev. We hope we brought your day a little bit more high truths. Mm-hmm.